Well, there was a barber getting his hair cut. Not the barber was, he was giving a haircut to his client. And, uh, he was just, um, he was, uh, he was an atheist. And he didn't believe in God. And he was ranting, talking about, you know, there couldn't possibly be a God because if there was a God, he wouldn't allow the, the people around the, earth, the world, the innocent people to suffer, uh, like they do. You know, there wouldn't be, uh, there wouldn't be poverty and there wouldn't be war and, uh, uh, a loving God wouldn't allow these things to happen. And the person that he was working on getting his hair cut was, was a Christian. And he really didn't know what to say because, uh, he really didn't want to make the guy any more mad than he already was because, you know, he wanted to get a good, decent haircut. So, uh, so following that haircut, uh, this guy went outside and began to walk down the street. And he came across this homeless man. This homeless man was really shabby looking. I mean, it was like he had never seen a barber in his life. His, his hair was all mangled. His, he had a beard. He was just filthy and Looking at this guy, he thought to himself, ah, and he went back to the barber shop. And he told the barber, guess what? I don't believe that barbers exist. Because I saw this homeless guy out there who's, who's never been to a bar. He is so unkept. If there was barbers in this world, they would be, they would do something about this man. But because he is in the state he is, there couldn't, there, poss- there couldn't possibly be barbers. You know, that is the story of a lot of agnostics, atheists, that they see the suffering in the world today, particularly innocent people who suffer and have come to the conclusion that there can't possibly be a God. And that's where we're at in our chapter of Lamentations this morning. When innocent people suffer. You know, for the last two weeks, we've been looking at the attributes of God in the book of Lamentations. The first chapter, we looked at the, the holiness and justice of God. And there's a lot of people in our world today that can understand that, that uh, there is a sense of ju- justice and uh, wrongs um, must be punished. There must be uh, uh, consequences uh, for the, the things that uh, people do wrong. And, and God is a God of, of wrath and justice. And we looked at chapter one and, and the people of Jerusalem are certainly experiencing the wrath of God. I mean, the city is in shambles. And last week we looked at how horrific, uh, the events that are happening in Jerusalem. But in chapter one, um, the people understand what's happening uh, in their lives and in, the, in their city. And they say, God is right in his justice. 
for we have rebelled against the word of God. And so God is a holy God, a God of justice and wrath. And it's important that God be that. He can't just be a God of love. We love the loving side of God. We embrace the loving side of God. But we don't like the wrath, the justice side of God. But we need God to be both. Because if God isn't both, then none of us are saved this morning. Because it's at the cross, not only do we see the love of God dying for our sin, but we see the wrath of God being poured out on his son. And if he's not a God of wrath, Jesus would have never died. And we would all be hopelessly lost in our sin this morning. We need God to be both. And then last week we looked at the mercy of God. You know, the events of, of Jerusalem uh, here in the Old Testament, they are horrific. But it doesn't have to be the end. The Bible says in chapter 2, if you just cry out to God, if you cry out for mercy, for forgiveness, God can restore. God can forgive. If, if you're experiencing the consequences of sin, and you know the poor decisions that you've made, and, and what you're going through is a result of those poor decisions, it doesn't have to be the end. God is, a mercy, God, God is a God of mercy. And he wants to forgive, redeem, restore. And so that was chapter 2. The people, the people knew they were guilty and they were being punished for the choices that they had made. But now we come to chapter 3. There's still a lot of suffering taking place. This whole book is about lamentations. It's about crying out to God. But in chapter 3, we see an innocent person suffering. Not about chapter 2 where people knew they were wrong. Here this morning, we're going to see an innocent person is, that's, that's suffering and as we go through this, this passage, the attribute that I want us to be reminded of that's brought out in this passage of Scripture is God's goodness. That even though innocent people are suffering, we can see the goodness of God. And if you have your Bibles, let's look at chapter, chapter 3, beginning with verse 52. This is describing Jeremiah. Jeremiah uh, most likely is the author of this book. And uh, this is a, a book of poetry. And in chapters 1 and 2, uh, the author, Jeremiah, has been writing from the perspective of the city of Jerusalem. But in chapter 3, he's writing from his own perspective. And this is what he says in verse 52. Verse 52. 
He says, I've been hunted like a bird by those who were my enemies without cause. They flung me alive into the pit and cast stones on me. Water closed over my head. And I said, I am lost. And that's exactly what we read about in Jeremiah chapters 37 and 38. Here is Jeremiah, the prophet of God, and he's being discarded like trash. He's been thrown away to be forgotten. But as we continue to read the story, we know that God has not forgotten Jeremiah. But again, Jeremiah is a prophet. He's the innocent one. He's been, he is God's spokesman. And yet he is being treated like this among his people. When the innocent suffer. That's where we're at this morning. And a lot of people are asking that question. You know, we see the events that have occurred over and over again in the Middle East, primarily in the last four or five years. And we've seen the, the, the consequences of war. We've seen it, children caught in the crosshairs of war, going to bed at night and waking up, being woken up in rubble and uh, having to be rescued sent to the hospital, hospital only to learn that their parents have been uh, killed in this war and they're left orphan. We see those stories. But some of you have a story this morning. And you've questioned uh, God's sovereignty in your life. Some of you may have just been a little kid. And you're, you were innocent. You didn't make any of these, these decisions. But things happened in your life. And you're having to live with those scars. And you ask God, why? You know, it would be, it would be nice if we could just pull out our device and ask Siri. God, or Siri, why has this happened? But it doesn't work that way. You know, and for, I just want to share this this morning. On this side of heaven, none of us know the answer to that question. And I'm not going to try to fake it up here this, this morning and, and convince you otherwise. There are some mysteries about God that you and I will never understand this side of heaven. And yet the Bible says that God has a plan and purpose for everything. So what I want to talk about this morning is when the innocent suffer, what do we know God's word says about suffering? What is known? The first is this. When it comes to the 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 suffering that we see in this world and uh, the consequences of, of sin, it's not God's fault. 
We like to pin it on God. But it's not his fault. You can't blame God. And some of you are saying, well, if it's not God's fault, why didn't he just make things perfect in the first place? Guess what? He did. He made it perfect in the very beginning. And it wasn't God who failed. It was man who failed. God gave man the freedom of choice to choose between right and wrong. And in giving man, Adam and Eve, that freedom to choose, he didn't create evil, but he created the potential for evil to occur. And the reason why, and he had to do that because he also created the potential for goodness, love, and blessing. And we see when man has the freedom to choose, he he has the freedom to choose evil, or he has the freedom to choose good, and there are consequences in either choice man makes. Choices for harm, or choices for great blessing. And maybe you're asking the question, did God see all this? Did God see foresee all this suffering before he made man? And the answer to that is yes, he did. Well, if he if he saw all that suffering before Adam and Eve came on the scene, Why did he even create it? Well, it's kind of like parents. You know, parents know that if they have children, they know those kids are going to break their hearts. They're not going to be perfect. And they're going to experience those kinds of things in their relationship with their children. But they believe that the joy and the love and the great meaning that these children will uh, bring into their life, that's going to far outweigh any heartache and disappointment. And that was God. God knew that every one of us here in this room, we were going to fail him. But he saw the great joy in being our father and providing and blessing and being in relationship with us. So here we are in the first point when it comes to suffering and what the Bible says. Don't blame God. Because it's not his fault. But just know that there is an enemy in this world. And he is out to steal, destroy, rob anything that God wants to do in your life. The Bible says he's like a roaring lion. 
seeking those to devour. And maybe you think to yourself, well, why does suffering continue to exist? Why doesn't God just come back right now and end it all? Well, the Bible says that when it comes to Christ's return, that Jesus is very patient. Because Jesus doesn't want anyone to perish. And maybe one of the reasons why he hasn't come back yet is because he's waiting on you to come to him. Look at Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Second Peter three nine says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. There are some people that are yet to be saved. And God's not going to return and end all this suffering until the very last one whom God wants is saved. That's why God's delaying. So when it comes to the innocent suffering, first off, know that it is not God's fault. This is the consequence of our freedom to choose, whether it be good or evil. The second thing we learn when it comes to suffering is that we need to run to the hurting. Run to the hurting. When we see, as Christians, as we see people suffering, it's not the time to isolate ourselves. Well, I don't want know what to say, so it makes me feel very uncomfortable, so I'm just going to avoid the situation. That's not what God would have us to do as brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to run towards those who hurt. Suffering invites us to be radically human with one another. And it may require us just to hold their hand and weep with them. Oftentimes it requires no words. It's just showing them that you care and that you are there for them. But we can't isolate ourselves. When we see a need... When we see someone suffering, we need to go help them. And the biblical text for that is the Good Samaritan. Jesus Jesus was answering the question, who's your neighbor? And it was these religious people who saw this individual suffering along the side of the road, saw this Jew suffering along the side of the road. And the spiritual people 
They saw the guy messed up in the streets, but they were too busy. They had to get somewhere else, and they just walked right on by. But you know who the person was that helped the Jew that was distraught in the street? It was a Samaritan. It was a person that the Jews hated, that they despised. You know, they they built uh, emotional ra- walls around uh, a Samaria. They wouldn't even travel through because uh, uh, those those people were so unclean. And yet, it was it was the Samaritan who helped the Jew that was in the street. Jesus in this parable is saying, when we see a need, that's your neighbor. And you need to run to the hurting rather than avoid the situation. God wants us to be on the front line when it comes to helping others. We've heard a lot this week about the Syrian, in particular, refugee crisis. And all the people who are wanting to come out of the the Middle East and get to a place of safety, whether it be Europe or the United States. And you've heard the the decree that uh, President Trump has made this week and and how our, our, our nation, many in our nation, are up in arms that we shut off the borders to people who are running for their lives. Christians, church, cannot afford to be silent. We heard our president say in his inauguration speech, America first. That's not our cry as a church. Our cry isn't America first. Our cry is God's kingdom first. Now, am I saying that President Trump's um, declaration or the, what he's uh, decreed here was, is wrong? Not necessarily. It's good to be wise. It's good to have strong screening practices and to, to pause and make sure that we are allowing the right kind of people come into our country. And so there was, there was a great article uh, that I found um, this morning on uh, the Atlantic News. I'm not sure. It, it's a conservative um, publication, and it was a well-thought-through piece. And so, you know, I'm not wanting to be overly critical with, uh, with what President Trump has done right now. And so we need to continue to watch this. But as a church, if if the marginalized, if the persecuted are being totally cut off, we can't be silent. We must stand for those who are marginalized, for those who are suffering innocently. 
I know that they're not all innocent who are wanting to come into this country. But to sh- but then to say, to shut it off for everybody because of a few guilty people, people who want to destroy what's happening in this nation, that's wrong. And But we must be prudent. And when it comes to suffering, as Christians, Jesus' parable, we can't isolate ourselves and pretend it doesn't exist. We need to be there for the hurting. And the third thing we see about the innocent who suffer is in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, um, we see Jeremiah, a prophet and who's innocently suffering. Let's just look in chapter 3. And I want to uh, share with you what he says in verse 16. What's going on in his life? Verse 16 says this. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. And I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished. So has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. So it's, just, it's not just all hunky-dory uh, for, for, um, for Jeremiah. He doesn't always just have a perpetual smile on his face. face. No, he's hurting. But in his hurting, as he's sitting in the smoldering ashes of the city, he then goes on to say this. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Jeremiah is innocently suffering. But in his ministry, he says, but this, verse 20, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What's he saying? I know the character of God. And as miserable as my circumstances are right now, I am not going to continue to look around, but I am going to look up. Because that's where my hope is. And he's telling himself, God is forever faithful. And if you're here this morning, and you are suffering, and you think to yourself, you are innocently suffering, and you don't understand why, and I don't have the answer to your 
to your question of why am I suffering? But just know that God is faithful in your life. God is good. And instead of looking around, you need to look up. There's another person in the Bible. His name is Job. Job, um, Bible scholars say that uh, the book of Job may be the very first book that was written uh, when it comes to God's word. I want you to look at Job chapter 19. And look at verse, I want you to look at verse 23. This was before the Bible was around. Job didn't have another Bible to read. He just, the Bible says he walked with God. And we know the story of Job. I mean, Job lost everything. And, uh, but he continued to depend on God. And this is what the Bible says. This is what Job, these are Job's word in verse 23. It says, as oh, that my words were written, oh, that they were inscribed in a book, oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has, has been thus destroyed, Yet in my flesh, I shall see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. These are Job's words. He didn't have the answer to his suffering. Jesus has yet to come on the scene. But Job knows my Redeemer lives. And when his flesh fails, he is going to see his Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ, face to face. Where does this hope come from? It comes from a relationship with God. Where did Jeremiah get this hope? He knew the attributes of God. He knew the character of God. He had a portion of God's word. Guys, it is important that we know the word of God. Our level of hope and endurance is based upon our knowledge of God and who he is in our life. And if we don't know him, if we don't know his word, when the hard times come and they are going to come, we're not going to find a whole lot of hope and a desire to continue. Where did Jeremiah's hope come from? It wasn't by looking around. Jeremiah's hope came from looking up. And Jeremiah saying, I know God is faithful. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. 
That doesn't sound like a man who's bitter towards God. He's experienced a lot. He has been God's spokesman. He has been faithful. And he has been treated like dirt. And yet he knows that his God is faithful and is everlasting. And his love will never, ever fail. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, Pastor, you don't know my story. I can't imagine that things could get any worse than they are. How could any good, if you knew my story, how could any good come from my situation? And that's a great question. But I just want to remind us of another person, innocent person, who suffered. And that was Jesus. Jesus came, and he only came to fulfill the will of God. And in fulfilling the will of God, he loved people. He put others before himself over and over and over again. People didn't serve Jesus. Jesus served others. But the Bible says that Jesus went to the cross and he died an innocent person. And he suffered the consequences for our sin. And as the disciples were looking at their teacher, their Messiah, hanging from the cross, I'm sure that they were saying the very same thing. How in the world is anything good going to come from this situation? And yet God, in his sovereignty, in his infinite wisdom, was taking the very worst thing that was taking place in all of history, the death of God, and through it, saving us. I don't know. I don't know how good is going to come, what kind of good is going to come from your, your situation. But we serve the God of the impossible. And what you can't see, God sees. You've heard about those tapestries, you know, those, those, the embroider work that people put on, on fabric and they can make beautiful things. And, and on one side, the picture is really clear. And they, you know, they've done a, uh, a meticulous job. So much detail has, has gone into that tapestry. And that's what God sees. But we're on the other side. We're still living this life on earth. We, you know, we're, we're among the land of the, uh, of the dead, heading towards the land of the living. Sometimes in this, in this life, we don't understand, and we're looking at the other side of the tapestry. You know, all those... Uh, all that 
that yarn or uh, those strings, they're tied together, and you look at that thing, and, man, it doesn't make much sense. One day it will make sense. But probably not until we get to the other side. Friend, I'm not telling you that uh, by you depending on God and crying out to him, maybe you're a Christian, you've been, you're walking with him, and you don't understand what's what's taking place in your life right now, God is still faithful. And just like the people in Hebrews chapter 11, you know, the, the, the hall of faith that he, he, he describes in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 39 and 40, there were some faithful saints who never experienced the promises of God on this side of heaven. It wasn't until the other side. And if that happens to be your story, God is still faithful. And God is going to get the glory. Because God is good. And so number four from this passage of scripture. What do we know about suffering? Jeremiah says this in verses 55 through 57. He says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. And you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you and you said, do not fear. And maybe you this morning need to hear those words. Do not fear. This morning, your greatest need is not an explanation of your suffering. Your greatest need this morning is an incarnation of the person of Jesus. And that's Christianity. You know, all the other religions of the world, when it comes to suffering, you know, maybe maybe you are doing wrong things and you need to work harder. You need to do better. As Christians, we're not trying to crawl our way to God and hopefully earn God's approval. No, in Christianity, God came to us in the person of Jesus and suffered and died an innocent person. And God in Jesus is the only God who understands where you're at. He gets it. He is not a disinterested deity. He is our great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses, the Bible says. So are you broken this morning? 
The Bible says that Jesus was broken. His body was broken for us. Are you despised this morning? Jesus was despised and rejected by men, the Bible says. Isaiah chapter 53. Are you here this morning and you're crying out? You say you can't take it anymore? The Bible says that Jesus was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Have you been betrayed? Jesus was sold out for 30 pieces of silver. Jesus gets it. And Jesus wants you to come to him. An innocent God encountered all of this and more and understands. There was another innocent person who refused to uh, isolate herself when she saw people who were suffering. And she kind of got this from her parents. Uh, many of us, many of you know Corey Tinboom, And she uh, grew up in World War II. And uh, her and her family were, um, were protecting uh, the Jews who were being uh, persecuted and, and uh, run off, um, gathered up and, and sent to concentration camps <clears throat> only to die. And uh, here, Corey Tinboom and her fa- family, they were Dutch. They lived in um, Amsterdam uh, in the Netherlands. Dad was a watchmaker. And uh, her and her family could not take this injustice. And at the risk of their very own lives, they, they helped rescue and protect uh, other Jews that were looking for, for safety. Well... The authorities found out about this, and uh, they rounded up uh, Corey Tenboom and her family. And uh, they spent uh, many years in a concentration camp because they refused to isolate themselves from the suffering of others. They knew as Christians they were to do something about it. Well, Corey was... Um, eventually released from that prison camp. But her sister, she never got to see the outside of that camp. She died in that prison camp. And this is what her her sister said um, just before she passed away. She said, there is no pit so deep that God is not deeper still. I know some of you are in a deep pit and you don't understand. But the worst thing you can do is keep looking around. That's not where your hope is going to come from. It's just going to get more depressing. You know, don't, don't look, don't watch CNN and Fox News and all these other things that uh, are just going to continue to defeat. There's not hope in that information. Our only hope is in this book. And as deep as your pit may be right now, just like Corey Ten Boom's sister said, 
God is yet deeper. Cry out to him for help. Lamentations 55, 355. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit, and you heard my plea. Do not close your ear to, to do not close your ear to my cry for help. And you came near when I called on you, and you said, Do not fear. We need to give ourselves an opportunity for some silent time. Look at verse 25. Jeremiah says, The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I want to take a moment for us to wait silently this morning. To give you an opportunity to cry out to God if if you're at a point of suffering right now. Maybe you're not at a point of suffering, but you just need to remind yourselves of uh, of this passage of Scripture um, this morning that uh, God's faithfulness will fails not. Maybe in this time of silence, you know somebody who's suffering, and because of fear, and you didn't know what to say, you've just avoided the situation. And God this morning is telling you, stop running from it and start running to them. Gather around, hold their hand, bring a casserole, just love on them. Letting them know that you care. In a moment, we're going to sing, Great is Thy Faithfulness. But before we sing that great hymn, I want us to pause and I just want us to be silent before before him and allow God to speak to you. Let's pray. Father, one minute of silence is a bit awkward. Father, help us, teach us to set aside some quiet time to spend in your word and to hear your voice. I know that there are some people who are very fearful right now. And they don't know what tomorrow holds. But God, you hold tomorrow. And you are forever faithful and we can trust you you know what it's like to innocently suffer God help us to be you when we see a need that God we learn 
to be Jesus, we learn to be that good Samaritan that will stand up for the marginalized, the suffering. Thank you, Father, for this time, and I pray that your word would encourage each person in this room.